This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Jay Horowitz here with the Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast. And my special guest is Clint Hurdle. And some of you Mets fans may say, why is Clint Hurdle on the Mets podcast? People don't remember that Clint was a part of our organization for 10 years, Clint. You think people forget that you were a Met? <laughs> I, you know, there's <laughs> there's probably some truth to that. I, I wasn't a an amazing Met by any means. I was a I was a Met at a really critical time in the Mets organization. They had, they'd gone through some lean years, and Davey Johnson came in as the manager. And I spent a couple, couple three seasons, parts of three seasons, in the organization at the major league level as a player. However, after that, I spent six years in the minor league uh, system managing from A ball to triple A. So a lot of big relationships, good relationships, a lot of wonderful teammates. Um, you know, Frank Cashin and a bow tie. Um, all of it. Um, Mr. Doubleday, the ownership, then it was fun. Let's start. And so 1987 was your last year as a player with the Mets. In 88, you went to manage St. Lucie in the Florida State League. And one of your players on your team was number 17, you know, former MVP in the National League, one Mr. Keith Hernandez. How did that go for you? You know, it went well for everybody. I was probably the most nerve-wracked of anybody during the time he was there. Just didn't want anything bad he to happen. He was rehabbing before for Kenny. He was re- <laughs> Yeah, he was rehabbing, yeah, he- right? I want to make that clear. He wasn't starting there. No, no, no. He'd, he'd actually been in the big leagues for a lot of years. was a really good yeah. player. It was kind of funny, but it, but it all made sense. He was coming back to our spring training facility. Um, good weather, chance of playing, getting his reps, getting his work in, and getting him back as quick as possible. However, you know, all the time he's on the field, I'm looking around. I just don't want him to get hurt. Don't want him to get injured. Don't want him to get, you know, dinged up at the plate. Nobody hit him, please. Let him get his at-bats. Let him get his swings. He interacted very professionally with the team. Um, he was engaged during the game, socialization during the, you know, the clubhouse hours, good with the staff. He was actually like having another coach around. So it was a fantastic experience for everybody. I was just glad that he left healthy. Clint, how were his spreads while he was there? Pretty good spreads? <laughs> he was probably <laughs> one of the first guys that would make sure the minor leaguers ate really well. You know, big leaguers would come down, they, they'd kind of throw a spread because we didn't have spreads in those days really after. Right. After the games, there was nothing to be had, and he would make sure he got to a local eatery and got some food passed around for all the boys. So it was very much appreciative, and it was a very class act. And another one of your uh, Met guys you had early was uh, uh, Mr. Todd Her- Hunley, who you helped him get to hit 41 home runs in a year, right, Clint? I mean, he hit 41. <laughs> that's because, that's because you, you helped him get that way? Well, that was the only year he listened to me, Jay. You know, finally, yeah, yeah. You know, after all those years of managing him. Um, no, he was good to have around. It was fun time for me with Todd. He was young. He was just figuring some things out. You know, you got a switch hitting catcher with a cannon for an arm that loved to play the game of baseball. So we had some time with him in Port St. Lucie, had a big season with him in double A. 
Um, and then he moved on to the big leagues and had, you know, quite the career. But his dad and mom would show up, and Randy was a really good big leaguer as well, but he wasn't overbearing. He didn't get in the way. He was a source, a resource to use as well. Todd was a lot of fun. I enjoyed my time immensely with Todd, watching him grow up, become becoming a man, becoming a leader, becoming a very good player. Another one of the former guys, you've had nine Bobby Jones in your career, and, and two of them were former Mets, the righty and the lefty Bobby Jones. I had the right-hander, and then I had the left-hander, not only in New York, but in Colorado. But Bobby Jones, the right-hander, was a really good pitcher. You know, he was a, a solid draft out of college. Uh, he had a lot of experience um, that he used. He seemed older than his years. Uh, very cerebral, very smart, had good stuff on top of everything else. So it was a really nice package and combination. He was very quiet, you know, but he also had a tremendous sense of humor. He was one of those guys that did a lot of funny stuff if you paid attention. If you didn't pay attention to him, you didn't think, he, you know, he was kind of just maybe more bookwormish. But no, he was fun. He was good to have on the mound. Uh, he gave you everything he had. Obviously, had a very nice major league career. You know, Clint, I've been with the Mets a long time. We you know, I have 40 years. And the only guy I ever got on uh, the Jay Leno show was one Mr. Anthony Young. And the poor guy lost about 26 games in a row. You had him in the minors. And Anthony wasn't that uh, bad of a pitcher. Uh, and unfortunately, he died at an early age of cancer. But, I mean, you tell somebody he lost 23, 24 games in a row. You think he stunk, but Anthony was far from stunk, right? Well, he far from stunk. You know, one of the things that I think players that have played the game can relate to, you don't get major league time given to you. You've got to earn it. You've got to earn it every day. You've got to earn it every year. He had service time. He stayed in the major leagues because he had skills and could pitch. You know, the final numbers didn't come his way a lot of times. Sometimes those, you know, losses were, you know, inherited runners. Sometimes they were his own doing. But to continue to get the ball, people had belief in it. They continue to get opportunities to pitch. He showed he had the ability to do good things. I also was fortunate enough to watch him work through the minor leagues, the minor league system. And he didn't do anything but win in the minor league system. So good man, big heart, actually had his nephew in the Pirates organization. So Anthony and I stayed connected all the way up until really, uh, you know, the very tough ending of his death and his passing due to cancer. But we had talked and he was planning one more trip to see his kid in, uh, in Bradenton play. And we never got to make that one. Yeah, he was a hell of a football player at the University of Houston, too, Clint. Let me go back to your playing days with the Mets. You get there in 83 for a couple of games, and then you were the minors in 84. But you spent a lot of time um, with the Mets in, in 85. You, you were an outfit. You became a catcher that year. Quit 17, 18 games. How did that come about? Well, it kind of came about the, the, the final evolution of my career. I'd been an outfielder and a first baseman. Davey Johnson had the, the vision of, in the minor leagues, turned me into a third baseman the year in Tidewater in 83. Um, it was kind of funny because then the next year we're going into spring training and I get a call. He says, hey, we're going to invite you to spring training with the pitchers and catchers. And I go, okay, so I'm not <laughs> pitching, am I? He goes, no, we're going we're to convert you to a catcher. I think if you can add this catching piece, you'd be a very valuable guy to have on the bench. You can play all the corner positions and catch. So I said, well, that's going to be hard to kind of learn how to catch and, and be in the big leagues, right? He goes, well, yeah, it would. You're not going to be in our big league club. You're going to start the season in AAA. So I said, so we haven't even got to spring training and you've already cut me. He goes, yes. <laughs> he says, but you got you to stay with me on this and work with me on this because I really think it's going to pay you benefits in the long run. And 
It did because just to be back there, to develop that relationship with pitchers, to understand more the pitching game, other than it's just hard to hit it, to see everybody move on the field, it gave me a component that I was able to put in play later on in my coaching career, in my managing career. And it did work out to my benefit that I did catch some games in the big leagues in 85 and 86. And I'll be forever grateful to Davey for having that vision, you know, that that nobody else did. That's where I learned how to play third base, though, too. It was kind of funny, Jet. I, I came over as a DH. Um, I just got released opening day in Seattle. I joined the Mets in AAA. I say hello to Davey. I shake his hand. He goes, you're going to be our DH. I go, Davey, we both know this is a National League team, right? He goes, yeah, but that's all that's available. I go, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> opening day, we got a third baseman named Mike Bishop. Mike yeah, Bishop. Mike. Yeah. Mike gets hit in the hand. And little did we know, but he got hit in the hand. His hand was broken, but we didn't know that. So Davey looks down and goes, can anybody play third base? I raised my hand. He goes, okay. So I went and finished the game at third base, played the next day at third, played the next day at third. And after the third game or fourth game, he called me in the office. He goes, I asked if anybody could play third base. You raised your hand. You were lying. I said, no. You asked if anybody could. You didn't ask if anybody was any good at it or they'd ever done it before. <laughs> So we actually had a laugh about it, and I ended up playing uh, all 132 games that year in AAA, but all all but one of them at third base, and that also helped me get back to the big leagues. What did you take from Davey? Uh, I mean, you know, he's one of my favorite guys. When he took the job in the, in '83 in October, he, sa- he said to Frank, "What took you so long to hire me?" I mean, he was cocky and bold. He didn't need the job. Davey was a multi-millionaire from his real estate business. But what did, you know, what, you, what he did with you, that's how he built the 86 team. He, he took the guys like, you know, like Wally Backman and, and guys who wasn't afraid to take a chance on it and, and Tuffle and those guys and built them into a cohesive team. And what did you take from playing for Davey and being around Davey those couple of years? Well, he was, a, he was an extreme visionary. He could see things that other people didn't see during the game outside of the game, and as far as your talent, your skill level, um, he had supreme confidence. I mean, how else he hit 40 home runs? He thought he was better than Aaron when he was on the Braves or, or Dwight. He did. Darryl he Evans, did. He, no 40 home he runs. did. I mean, he held himself at a high level. He expected great things from himself. And when he, when he spent time around you, it just, it was a contagion. You believed <clears> more in yourself than you ever had before. He told you you could do things. Here was your role. Here's how he envisioned it. Here's how it's going to work. I mean, he did so many things while I was there that worked out so, so incredibly well for the organization. But the first thing was belief and having an attitude and having an attitude and go out and playing the game hard between the, the white lines and, and beating up on people and having a little cockiness while you do it to have an edge. You should call it a very competitive edge that he had. Clint, you had a, a great manager. I mean, you, who knows, you still can manage, but, you know, 17 years as uh, a manager, eight with Colorado, with Colorado's first pennant, get to the World Series. You go to the World Series as a uh, as a bounty coach with Texas. You know, had to you know get the Pirates to three straight postseasons, win ninety eight games one a year. Uh, do you think? Let me say this in a nice way. You you came up as a number one draft choice, right? It didn't work out the way you wanted to. But do you think your success as a manager was built on showing your players that hey, you got to overcome what you have to overcome, and you know, it, you know, success on the field doesn't all the time lead to be a great manager or player. But you know, do you think you got that through to your players? Like your career was an example about to keep persevering and keep fighting on. Well, I think that's that's a very it's a humbling uh, question to ask me because I do believe 
the, the, the points that you made throughout it are, are pretty reflective in what I tried to teach and how I tried to teach. You know, I didn't have a yellow brick road initially laid in when you're number one pick, you do. But those yellow brick roads, they run out of time. And once you get to the big leagues, it's about performance levels and how good you are, how you fit in, how the skill plays out. So I had to fight, scratch, and claw for 10 years at the major league level. It wasn't like anybody had expected when I first came in. But the, val the valuable lessons I learned along the way, that hey, it's got, not going to be fair. You got to figure things out. You got to have an edge to you and a hunger that's real every day. You take nothing for granted. However, you don't fear anything either. And you respect everything along the way. So I ended up more or less taking a dirt road back to the big leagues. You know, minor league managing for six years with the Mets, three years as a hitting coordinator with the with the Rockies. I spent almost 10 years in the minor leagues before my first major league opportunity as a coach for Don Baylor. And then for, as you mentioned, years managing in Colorado, another year back in, 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 in coaching with, with Texas, and then nine years with Pittsburgh. But it's about the fight. It's about the competitive edge that you bring and knowing that you're never a failure when you get knocked down. You're just a failure if you don't get back up. Right. Could another could be overcome. And you know, you mentioned your daughter Madison um, was a special needs kid, and you've been openly, you know, um, you could have really kept it quiet and not, you know, gone public with what what her ailment was at birth. But you, you know, raised a lot of money for her charities and. You know, I know you're a recovering alcoholic. You've been, you know, going out publicly speaking about that. Is that subject too? What is it which you don't want to be? You're, you're not afraid to go out front and take a stand on things. Well, I really believe that if you're going to be anything in life other than transparent, you're really missing the boat. You need to be, you need to find out who you are, what motivates you to be the best person that you can be. And then how do you want to portray that? And what difference do you want to make in the lives of others as far as impact or influence or help? And I got to the point in my life where I had tried to please so many different people, so many different ways, and it never worked. I just needed to find peace for myself. And since then, you know, yes, a recovering alcoholic, 21 years. Um, daughter was born with a birth defect. So I'm the national spokesperson for the Prader-Willi syndrome. The people we have met through AA the people and the families we've been able to touch and help through being the spokesperson for the Prader-Willi syndrome. It's been, it's been very, very beneficial for me and gratifying for me and humbling for me that through, you know, through tragedy or through hard times, there is always a select group of people that, that you need, you can help identify with because not everybody has, has hit bottom a lot of different ways and been able to bounce back and have successes. And I've also been a, Divorced twice, two failed marriages. Now Carl and I have celebrated 20 years of marriage. So I've made my, my, more than my fair share of mistakes. I've learned from them. And now I'm just trying to put myself in a position to be of help and support for others, you know, whether the term's a hope broker or an arm lifter or an encourager. That's all I'm trying to do with however many days I have left now to be of support and of service to others. You know, my favorite memory of you is, you probably don't remember, uh, it was, had to be 1985. And even though you were with the Mets for a short period of time, every time I needed a charity appearance, go visit a kid in the hospital, uh, you were always there. And the other, you, your companion on a lot of those trips was Randy Myers. And we had some interesting trips to the hospitals, uh, you know, entertaining the kids. And that was the one thing I'll never forget. And again, you, you weren't, didn't, you made an impact 
a lot off the field in my mind because you're always there, you know, doing a charity stuff, hospital, spending time with kids and and um, being there for me. And uh, listen, I just want to wish you nothing but the best in the future, you're, you know, and best of luck. And maybe if you want to get back in the NBA, but you're making an impact in a lot of different ways. It's a pleasure to have uh, me on, this, have you on this podcast, Glenn. Well, Jay, I just want everybody that's listening to hear this from me about you. You're as good as man as I've ever run across in the game of baseball. Loyal, dedication, your service, the way you showed up for the players, even the little ones, guys like me, the 25th man on the roster. And that's all I would do. I could never say no to you. I couldn't say no to this podcast. I couldn't say no back in the day because I wanted to try and make your job easier. You had the hardest job in baseball while I was there. Well, the the, the guys in mid-80s, let's put it this way, it kept me on edge when I got to the pool. I never knew what was going to happen. I never knew what was going to happen when I showed up at Chase Stadium, Clint. It was always a surprise. (laughs) But but you're a good man, nothing but the best, and stay safe during this virus crisis here. And hope to see you soon, my friend. Thank you so much for your time, Jay. Always great to hear your voice. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.